this is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Darmita Wilson, Vice President of Operations of Northern Light Medical Group. Darmita, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare right now, and, and certainly uh, for medical groups, just a lot going into what's going to happen in the future and some of the specific challenges and opportunities. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. Um, I am, of course, Darnita Wilson, like uh, uh, like you said. I'm the Vice President of the Northern Light Health Medical Group uh, in charge of operations. I uh, have been in executive leadership position since 2005, uh, working at Howard University Hospital in Washington, D.C. until 2014. In 2015, I became the COO of the Ascension Providence Hospital Medical Group, also located in Washington, D.C., and their Ambulatory Services Division um, until uh, 2019. Uh, then uh, the acute hospital uh, was deemed by Ascension to be closed. And then in 2020, um, I became a National Healthcare Leadership Consultant, which brought me to Maine and Northern Light on a temporary assignment which uh, turned in August of 2021 to be a permanent position, uh, which I now hold. Uh, so I have over 35 years of healthcare career experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I love the work that I do. Absolutely. Wow. That sounds like an amazing career. And I can really tell that you're passionate about uh, working in healthcare and serving patients and certainly improving the communities wherever you're at. So, you know, when you look absolutely. at, uh, absolutely, that's awesome. Um, when you look at where you're at today at, at Northern Light, what is your growth strategy for the next year or two? What's really ahead for you? And what are you excited about? Well, to, to start our conversation about Northern, uh, Northern Light, um, we have 10 licensed hospitals, uh, 900 plus beds, um, 818 post-acute beds uh, were spread over two thirds of the state of Maine. As you know, this is actually uh, what I would consider my dream job because it gives me the opportunity to both do healthcare delivery, to both uh, rural medicine, as well as uh, a little of the urban flavor. So the largest cities are Bangor, uh, Bangor, Maine and Portland, Maine are where our larger hospitals are, uh, including our flagship hospital, which is um, Eastern Maine Medical Center, uh, which is in Bangor. And then uh, we have a lot of rural areas where we also provide services. So, um, we are beyond our services. We have statewide telehealth services to include virtual walk-in care services, home health services with more than 330,000 visits annually statewide. And we have a focus on population health management using data to direct um, resources and address and address the most uh, virtual chronic health needs of our population. So that's a little bit about um, Northern Light. I'm privileged to work here and I really um, 
admire uh, the goals and the mission that our president, uh, Tim Dentry, who is the CEO and president of Northern Light, has. And we're just walking the we're just walking the vision. That's what we're doing. So as it relates to growth strategies, um, we have a couple. They're very simple to increase patient access. Uh, using um, innovative technology and creating process improvement to maximize efficiency. You know, the pandemic has brought about a series of events, which means that healthcare delivery will never be the same again. We have gained some lessons from the pandemic on what patients need to make sure that we offer patients what they need, when they need it, and how they need it. Um, and some of our old models uh, just are no longer efficient enough for us to reach the masses that we need to reach. One of the other strategies we have is the development strategies to address staff shortages, uh, which is nationwide, and work toward bringing new opportunities to build, teach, and grow a sustainable healthcare workforce. Um, everybody's looking for staff. Everybody needs staff. It is one of the number one issues on most of our plates in the healthcare industry. But we need to really start looking at how do we get our workforce and really encouraging the younger generation to join health uh, um, healthcare workers um, in managing uh, uh, the health population. You know the, the health issues uh, of the day. Um, our population is getting older. Uh, with more people in it. So we're going to need quite a bit of um, workforce staff to really accommodate that. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And certainly I can imagine a lot of hospitals and health systems are in a similar spot in terms of trying to make sure they're able to connect with their broader patient populations and, and very diverse patient, patient populations as well. I know you were talking about both the rural and urban communities, and I can imagine, um, you know, some very different uh needs and challenges for both of those spaces, as well as integrating technology and in virtual care along with in-person care um, and, and managing all of that while trying to troubleshoot the staffing issues. So, you know, when you, you look at um, especially how staffing, it seems like is not necessarily, there's an easy answer to bring more people into the healthcare workforce. What are, are some of the ways that you are managing that in looking into the future to try to um, improve some of the workforce challenges that you're currently facing? Well, listen, we're starting in the middle schools, uh, <laughs> uh, middle schools and high schools to really start putting in the minds of these young people the the benefits of being a healthcare worker and the rewards that are not always um, tied to monetary things, but to be of service um, to our nation. I think that the pandemic, if anything else, has shown that you know the people that work in in healthcare um, are are committed to the to the work. Um, they have a love for the people, and especially people who need help. Um, and who suffer from not only chronic illness, but even wellness uh, visits to make sure that they remain healthy for their friends and their families. So one of the other major ways that we're doing that is to make sure that we're visible, to make sure that we leave out of the hospital walls, as it were, and go where, uh, go to community events, go to fairs, uh, go to celebrations, uh, go anywhere we can to show uh, to, so the children and younger people who may be looking for a career 
can have access and talk to people who are already in healthcare. Um, and maybe we can, hopefully we can get some recruits just by being there and being a part of the community to let them know that this is a exciting career opportunity, but more importantly, it will be a great service to our country, to our state, um, and to the people and the communities that we serve. Absolutely. I, I love that. And, and certainly um, starting in middle school, it seems like early, but definitely a place where children can still be inspired and certainly be brought into the healthcare space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fantastic. And could you also, you know, I, I loved hearing about those initiatives and could you tell us about other, I guess, exciting initiatives that are making a really big impact or, or projects that you're working on right now that um, are important for the medical group? Well, yeah, so another way that we're doing it is we're looking at how we recruit and where we recruit. Um, as you know, Maine um, is, uh, uh, has you know, a population of only 2% of people of color. Um, so the idea that there are um, other um, diverse populations, uh, our, Native, uh, our Native American population and other areas where we have, you know, um, immigrants that are coming in and asylum seekers here in Maine, we want to make sure that they have the adequate health care that they deserve also. And we know based upon research and, and, and just uh, uh, research that's done based upon, you know, health care outcomes, that people do do better when they see providers that look like them and that can reach them at a, at a personal or cultural level as it relates to their health. Um, so one of the other initiatives that we're doing is we're teaming up with partners. We're teaming up with um, educational partners to help this development uh, go forward. Uh, some of the historically black colleges or the HBCUs that we will be doing clerkships um, uh, here in the state of Maine to get people accustomed or get them familiar with the state of Maine. It's beautiful here. I mean, before I came here, you know, 22 months ago, I didn't really even have an idea where Maine was. <laughs> But now that I now now that I'm here, it's just a beautiful um, uh, state uh, with lots of wildlife and lots of things to do. Um, so we're seeking, uh, we're looking at some of the HBCUs to bring some of the uh, providers, uh, some of the physician assistants, um, nursing students, and maybe even finally some of the additional residents here to the state of Maine. Um, to get some training and then hopefully uh, then be effective recruiting uh, done um, to make sure that um, we have the the resources and the workforce that we need going forward. So just looking for recruitment and, uh, and uh, talent wherever we can find it, even outside the state of Maine, uh, to draw them into our beautiful state. That's amazing to hear. And certainly, you know, great that uh, you're able to make those connections with HBCUs and, and uh, um, really foster that type of relationship. I, I think um, certainly important, as you mentioned, being able to have healthcare providers, whether they're the physicians, nurses, or other uh, members of the clinical team, you know, reflect uh, the patient population, especially, like you said, it just builds so much trust. And so um, that, mm-hmm. that sounds like a really important and impactful way to uh, connect deep, more deeply with the community. And, you know, you bring up a very good point. You know, I am um, an alumnus of a historically black college, Howard University in Washington, D.C., where I got my undergraduate degree. And I was tutored and learned um, 
which is a, a academics uh, setting uh, institution. So I was able to really learn how people learn, um, especially in the healthcare arena. You know, the the so I had the opportunity to work with the the medical students, the residents, you know, the nurses. They had a school of allied health in addition to a school of medicine, a school of dentistry, um, all connected to our community hospital um, to serve the underserved and to serve that community uh, with whatever health needs that they had. It was a level one trauma, the hospital, the community hospital there was level one trauma. So we basically saw it all there. And that training really sparked in me the opportunity to look at population health, to look at, you know, disparities in health care, as well as social determinants of health, you know, and how we actually serve the people. Because, you know, we're really not served until everybody's served, if you understand what I mean. Absolutely. That's such a great point and powerful statement about thinking through, you know, not leaving anybody behind, making sure you're serving everybody in the community and thinking about that population health and then acting on it too in making a big difference. And it seems like that certainly is is a, you know, evolving thing for a lot of hospitals and health systems and evolving strategy, um, as well as, you know, there's so many different aspects of healthcare that are changing today. So, I wanted to wrap up the discussion by asking, what is the most important thing that healthcare executives should do right now to make sure that their organizations are successful for the future? Um, I would say that they really need to have a firm footing on the technology. Um, you know, the 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 population today and the generations today grew up with technology. We need to use that to our advantage to be able to serve our patients. Um, and to also make sure that their healthcare needs are met, not only just in chronic illness, but preventative illness as well. Um, uh, some of those things include, you know, patient self-scheduling and uh, being able to um, self-register uh, online before they come in for an appointment to save time instead of doing the paperwork in the office. And all those things that we are that we associate with how patients are seen in healthcare delivery. Um, can be improved by technology, and we need to be ready for that and look for ways that we can insert technology into our present workflow or then just change the workflow to meet the needs of the people because access is everything right now to make sure that we have adequate access to all patients who need us and to make sure that we're able to do that. So that would probably be my number one thing. Um, I think that also we need to look at um, the population that we serve. And to really listen to the patients, um, all of our work needs to be patient-centered so that uh, the patient gets actually what they need instead of what we think they need. Um, I find that sometimes, you know, as healthcare um, executives, you know, we're so used to just doing the grind and making sure that everything is covered. Um, but oftentimes we don't listen enough to our patients to find out or look at the data to see exactly what kind of services would our patients actually need, making sure we fill the healthcare gaps um, also that patients have as it relates to social determinants like transportation and you know uh, health literacy and all of those things. Um, we need to make sure that we are able to serve the patients the way that they need to be served at the place that they're at. Absolutely. And that's a fantastic reminder and definitely something so important to keep front of mind. 
Dermita, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and fascinating conversation, and I'm looking forward to meeting you in person as well at our CEO and CFO roundtable um, in November. Awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, the invite, and um, I just really appreciate uh, the conferences and the seminars that I've gone to so far. They're very enlightening. Um, the networking is fantastic, and I look forward to meeting you in person. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's Healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm-hmm.